Howdy, JFC. Glad you're here. I want to welcome all of our campuses, not just here at Lone Tree, Highlands Ranch, Castle Rock, Lakewood, and those that live stream us right now. If you are sitting in your car, walking on the beach, listening to a CD, we don't care how you are a part of our church. We are just glad that you are. It is the first series, uh, in our first message in a new series called Ephesians. Let me show you something real quick. This is true at all of our campuses. Um, Pastor Terry and his crew, Terry's letting each of his guys design uh, each of the series. So the last one uh, on marriage, my daughter, Katie, she works with Terry. She did it. This time, it's Pastor Thomas Ewing. Thomas designed, I thought this would make a great-looking T-shirt. I don't know about anybody else. I would love to have that in a T-shirt right there. So, Thomas, if you want a promotion, there you go. Make that a T-shirt, and off we go. I, I just wanted to thank them. I think Terry and his guys are doing a really great job when it comes to putting together our series, and I thought it just looked really sharp, and I wanted to recognize his efforts. Can we give him a hand? I just think it's outstanding. So preparation this week, it's a new series, it's on Ephesians. Um, here's here's just, just right off the bat a few things to be thinking about. Uh, in fact, let me, let, me, let me do this. Let me give you some homework. I know that, that you probably don't need more stuff to do, but this is stuff that's going to come with a reward, stuff that um, will come with uh, a really good upside to it if you will practice it. Would you stay ahead of me week by week? Would you be reading Ephesians? So would you read Ephesians chapter 2 throughout this week? Read it a couple of times, three or four times. When you do your own personal Bible study, if you do that, if you don't, you should be. It would be a great time to start it, but pick it up, read Ephesians, ask God to start speaking to you before I ever teach on it, and watch what the Holy Spirit can do if we partnership together and do something. I think something really cool can happen out of it. Okay, also, here's, here's where I would go in the beginning of this series. If, if I had one book... If, if, if it were one book left to read in the Bible, before I left this earth, I thought to myself, I would pick the book of Ephesians. I think that ultimately, and here's where I'll try to go when I, when I teach on this uh, for the next few weeks. I think that ultimately, Paul in his writing, I think he comes to his greatest final analogy and understanding of who God is and what God's plan for us is, and he writes it down in the book of Ephesians. So if I had to pick any one book, I'm thankful that it's not just one book, but if I had to pick any one book that I spent the rest of my time here on earth studying, looking at, learning from, reading out of, I would pick the book of Ephesians because I just think that Paul finally, when he, when he finally writes Ephesians, he gets everything that he's been trying to say in so many of his other epistles. He finally gets it down in Ephesians and he phrases it so well. Tonight we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to go through 1 through 6. You'll find it in your notes. I'll read it. You can follow along with me. So Paul begins writing this way. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Stop and let me just say very quickly, I think that when we read the Bible, sometimes we are tuned to skip greetings. You read the first part of a letter and you don't, why in the world is that even in there? Is there really anything here that's worthy of our time or worthy of being called scripture? Everything in it is worthy of your time. Amen. Let me begin by saying Paul is already beginning to reveal right now, here's how you're supposed to relate to God. He's our father. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But sometimes I think we're so preconditioned that when we read scripture, we read it so fast. Or we read right through it trying to get to the main point. You can miss the main point. By trying to get to the main point. You get that, Detlef? That's deep right there. <laughs> so grace to you, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intentions of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Now, let me just stop. Six verses, yes or no, a lot was just said right there. I, I am telling you, if you were to spend even, even just to take it in the sentences and break it down, Paul is putting so much of the revelation of who God is how God feels about us, and what God's plans for us. He puts so much just into the first few verses here that you literally could spend, folks, you could spend, you could spend six months going through just six verses here. It's an amazing amount of wisdom that he's written down. Let me give you just a little bit of background on Ephesians so that you kind of recognize how he's writing it, where he's writing it, the position he was in. Number one, he's writing it from prison. I think that's interesting because when Paul writes it, up until chapter 3, he gives no indication he's in prison. He writes, it like everything, he writes it like he's writing from Highlands Ranch. He writes it like it's a beautiful summer day. He writes it like everything is going just fine. He writes it like everything in his life is hunky-dory. Look at this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes or no, that does not sound like a guy who's in prison. It does not sound like a guy who is suffering. You know, when I say prison, we've got a prison system today that, listen, no one here wants to enter into it. It's a lousy deal. But I, trust me when I say this, a Roman prison compared to an American prison are two different things. They were allowed to mistreat you in ways that the Constitution protects people from here in the United States. They were allowed to do things to you that unspeakable. And they were allowed to do that to you. Before, listen, you were guilty until proven innocent. Not innocent until proven guilty. Paul is writing this from dreadful conditions, and yet I think one of the things we pick up, it's not until chapter 3 that Paul finally pins these words, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He says that in chapter 3, but he's in a prison for the entire book of Ephesians. How, here's what I pick up from that. How many of you think Paul's attitude is really awesome? I met with a guy earlier this week, really interesting. The guy, the guy just, he, his wife called me actually. His wife said, listen, we're friends. His wife says, he, he's in a really bad place. Could you just meet with him and have coffee? So, so I texted him real quick, and I said, hey, would you like to have coffee? And here's what he said to me. My wife called you, didn't she? He said, yeah, okay. All right, you got me, but you want to get coffee anyway. So we go have coffee. And, and literally, we have a conversation where 55 minutes, I opened my mouth one time in 55 minutes. And it was this, how you doing? And then the rest of it was just, Wah. He's just in a bad place, having a bad time, and he's having, he's having difficulty with a boss. You ever been there? No pastor that works for me. Better, you all better hold your breath. Yeah, yeah. Todd, Todd was smart. Todd goes, never, never. Haven't ever had that happen. So he's having a problem with the boss, and this is what he says to me. He, he's talking about just it's unfair, and it is an unfair situation. It's a totally unfair situation that he's in. Here's the problem, though. It has got him so down that when he goes home, it's, t it's, it's coming out of his pores, it's so bad. And when he goes home, it's totally, it, it's controlling what's going on between him and his children and what's going on between him and his wife. Have you ever been there? Do you, you know those days? You know those times? It, it's, it's totally, it's taken over the relationships that are most important to him. And I finally, I'm listening to him and I finally just stopped him and I said, listen, I need to tell you something. 
I said, this, this, you've got to forgive this guy right now before we leave here. You've got to let him go. And he goes, that's really difficult. I said, here's the reason why. This guy's controlling the most precious relationships that you have. Don't give this guy that kind of control of your life. If for no other reason, don't let him win. Maybe you're thinking, well, it's fun to let him win. It's not fun to let him win. It's not, it doesn't matter what situation you're in in life, you still get to control your attitude. Right. You cannot control what anybody else does to you, but you do get to control what you do with it. And I said it for no other reason. Bro, you love your children. That time is going by so fast. Don't let them grow up and remember that you were depressed or that you were beaten all the time or that, that, that somebody else made you so angry that it controlled how you acted. You do get to control your attitude. And I would say proof positive that it can be done is the Apostle Paul. Here he's in prison, and yet what? He writes it like he's in Highlands Ranch. Now, some of you are like, I live in Highlands Ranch. It is a prison. No, it's really not. <laughs> Aurora's a prison. Highlands Ranch is not. No, come on. Just kidding. Settle down. This is why I need to open a campus there to get rid of these Aurora hecklers. Okay, here's... <laughs> so he's writing it for prison. Number two, Paul's writing it in unbelievably, uh, an unbelievably hostile society. It's an unbelievably... So this is back to the day when Christians are persecuted. And we tend, when we think of that, uh, you probably have the picture Gladiator. You ever see the movie Gladiator. So gladiator shows uh, a gladiator who in the Roman system, you remember they had the, uh, the, the uh, what's the thing called in Rome? What the, were they? Gla- the Colosseum, thank you. I, think I knew, I was just seeing if you knew what it was. So he, Mel Gibson's down fighting. No, it's not Mel Gibson, who is it? Let's just close in prayer at this point. <laughs> Ever since I said the Aurora, I, I repent Aurora people, right? I repent. It's like God put a curse on my tongue right after that. I repent. I fully repent. I love Aurora. <laughs> Wish I could live out there. Okay, here's... <clears throat> so it's an exceptionally hostile society. When we, when we think about it, we tend to think, you know, uh, that, that gladiator experience. Here, here's the deal. You may watch that movie today. A Christian may watch that movie today, and it glorifies the gladiator. The truth of the matter, if you were a believer living in that time, you would have feared the Colosseum. And the Colosseum was not just a Roman issue. In every major town throughout Asia Minor, Asia, and that part of the world, they built Colosseums in order. In order, not altogether, but in order to sacrifice Christians. Paul, when he writes, it's interesting. When Paul writes 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul refers to his time in Ephesus. So 1 Corinthians is written to the Corinthian church, but Paul writes in it about his experience in Ephesus, in Ephesians. And Paul writes to the Corinthian church, here's what he says, I fought wild beasts while in Ephesus. Most scholars believe Paul was thrown into a coliseum to fight lions. And that God spared his life. In in the same uh, letter, Paul pins these words in Corinthians about his experience in Ephesus. He said it was so bad, quote, we despaired 
of our lives. In other words, it was so bad, we debated whether or not it was, we wanted to keep living. We tend to read Ephesians with a very glossed over 2012 understanding of it. Paul is writing Ephesians from a prison in a society that is exceptionally hostile to Christians. People today who say, man, we're persecuted for our beliefs. Can I tell you, America does not persecute believers, really. We may not be popular, and it may come to some nasty things, but in comparison, we have a wonderful society that we live in. You should say amen to that. You really should. You should say amen to that. Last but not least, I wrote this down and I began this way. Paul advances to his premier revelation in Ephesians He begins in one sentence, I think, he puts it all together. He begins to talk about the Father's kind intentions. I heard a guy teaching recently on the love of God. He says it's a love without end. Boy, that's true. This is what I thought. The love of God isn't just a love without an end. It's a love that never had a beginning either. Here's what I mean by that. God loves us because of who he is, not because of who we are. God's love is not based on us getting our act together and then God decides to love us. God, from the very beginning, because he is love, has loved us. And he'll never not love us. And Paul, at different places, begins to talk about the grace of God, the revelation that God's given him about grace. But in Ephesians, he finally puts it all together and he begins to talk about the Father's kind intentions. And he begins to list out what they are and how God feels about us and how God thinks about us. Can I say to you, if you're a legalist, Ephesians will mess you up. If you're a legalist and you like the law and you like the idea of living your life, somehow you earn God's love and you you earn his approval by your performance and how you live life, Ephesians will mess you up. When I went to write the message for this week, here's the email that I sent to the staff when I sent the notes. I said, hi, folks. Here are the notes for the first message in Ephesians. It's a total grace bomb. I had no other word I could think of. My heart is so full of God's great love and mercy. If the revelation of his kind intentions, how he feels about us, what he's done, not just intends to do, if it could ever be revealed, it will forever change everything between us and God. Here's a mystery Until we really see, we can't see. Let me try over here. Here's a mystery. Until we really see, we can't see. I'm sure that just made some of you roll your eyes here too. If this helps, here's what I'm trying to say. Unless God reveals to us through the Holy Spirit his heart, we will have a mixture of his grace and our understanding of his grace, and it will come up so short. We'll end up living some manufactured works-based relationship, trying to be pleasing by our efforts and forever caught in a backwater slew of our good intentions. God, deliver us from our flesh and our good intentions. If you're a legalist, Ephesians will mess you up so bad because in reality, God wants you to live your life in such freedom based on who he is, not on who you are. It will mess you up. That comes from a legalist. I told my story multiple times 
Growing up a Catholic kid, it's not Catholic bashing, by the way, because I have nothing evil or ugly to say about Catholics. I grew up a Catholic kid in South Louisiana, and they still did the Mass in Latin. So that whenever they would speak, I never understood what was going on. Being older and going back and looking at the church, I realized some things now. But as a child, they had a, a carved statue of Moses in the front of the church. And it was Moses holding the Ten Commandments with his staff, and it was just as he came back to find the children of Israel worshiping the golden calf. And Moses was mad. Why you pick that to be the statue you put in front of the whole church? I don't know. But Moses is mad at everybody. And as a kid, I thought it was God. Now I look at, I know it's Moses. I still can't figure out why they picked that depiction of Moses. But I thought it was God. So my interpretation of it is that God was mad. God was upset at us. God was angry. The proof of that was, as a kid, everybody was afraid when they went to church. Nobody clapped. Nobody said anything. And whatever you did do, you did it together so that God couldn't kill the one person who got out of line. (laughs) (laughs) Boris Karloff played the organ. Did you go to that one? The guy speaking was so dry, dust comes out of the mouth. You go through it. Here's the priest we like the most. He had the shortest message. We picked the priest who had the shortest message to go to his service on Sunday because he got us out the quickest. How do you like to go to church based on that? Who gets us back home the quickest? You know, somebody's in here right now, and you're convicted when I say that. That's why I make it my object in life not to be short when I teach right there. So I grew up, it wasn't, listen, I recognize now as an adult, I can go back and I can look, I can see that I made a mistake, but here's the problem. Nobody ever, ever taught different. And as I did grow up in that particular understanding, they taught me about God. They taught me about Jesus. They taught me about the Holy Spirit, but they never taught me who he was. I knew about him, but I didn't know him. And they taught a lot of fear and a lot of guilt as control. So that people were afraid in their... What what kept them in line was fear of hell. Not the idea that God was into them and into them with him in eternity. It was never taught. So when Paul begins to write Ephesians, if you grew up as a religious person who understood the law and, and holds even the way you hold your children is by threats or by veiled understandings. If you're not good, you're going to go to hell. Let me say something to you. You need to read Ephesians every day before you talk to your kids about God because you're messing them up. It's quiet now. How do you know I'm messing them up? Because you're messed up. Read Ephesians. You know, you don't really, you're not really in grace unless when you read it, you're actually nervous you're going to miss it. I don't know if you just heard what I said. Real grace will make the legalist very nervous because it's all based on God's love and not based on anything you can do. Well, I'm straying, so let me jump back here. Paul writes Ephesians, and he begins in these six verses to reveal his greatest revelation. The first thing that Paul teaches right here that I want you to see is he calls God Father. 
grace to you and peace from God, our who? Our Father. There are a lot of names wherewith we could know God by. In the Old Testament, there are a lot of opportunities where the children of Israel knew him through an experience, and they would name the experience that they had after God. Uh, God would come through and provide for them, so they would name a place Jehovah Rapha. It means Jehovah, my provider. God would protect them, so they would name the experience Jehovah Nisi, God, my protector, or my banner. They would have an experience where God would do different things for them, and they would name the experience. They would know a facet of who God's character was through a single experience. It's okay to know God through a single experience, but here's the truth. When God in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, begins to reveal himself instead of by these Old Testament understandings, these single phrase understandings of his character, when God gives us one word so that we have the fullness of his character, we don't just have God as healer, we have him as healer and as friend and as provider and as protector. In one word, we get it all. What's that word? Father. People today have very mixed up understandings of their relationship with their earthly father, don't they? Some people come in and you begin to teach about what it means to have God as a father and because of their their understanding of their earthly father, they have a real difficult time seeing God as, as a good father. They don't know what a good father is. But just because you had a bad experience doesn't mean you project onto God that bad experience. You've got to begin to drop that and go after who God is. And God reveals himself in this wonderful word, Father. Listen, I grew up with four fathers. I had multiple fathers in my life. None of them who ever really cared for me. Well, one did. But he died at such an early age, I hardly knew him. And then God is introduced as my father based on my experience. Boy, it's tough for me to relate to a dad. Other than this, God overshadows and supersedes what happens to you on this earth. When Paul begins to introduce God as father, here's the truth. My relationship as a child to my father might be messed up. God doesn't change my past. He changes my future. I have children, and instead of that being messed up, guess what? My children love me. My children like to be around me. I know it's hard to believe, but they do. And here's the difference. The way I treat you and them, two different things altogether. I'm teasing right now. I, I, love my, I love to teach. I love to poke fun at things. I love to, I love to challenge. I love to push. But it's, it's only in the spirit. I love what I'm doing right now. I love trying to set people. I love challenging people who are legalists. I love to confront that and to kick that and to goad and to poke that and then say, get free. Amen. What I know, man, look, when I was a kid, maybe it didn't go the way it was supposed to go as far as the father was concerned. But here's what God has done for me. He gave me children, taught me how to do it the right way, so my kids love me. So when my kids talk about father, they're not all messed up. And the funny thing is, when my kids approach me, they don't approach me based on some single facet of who I am, meaning they don't come to me and go, oh, provider, would you please give us some money? No, they don't do that. <laughs> when they need money, guess what name they use? You bet. I have three of them in college right now. They want to go to college. Guess how they go to college? Dad. I'm so busted broke right now. I, it's not funny. But my great delight, listen to this, my great delight 
isn't giving everything I have so my children have it better. No, I mean this right now. My great delight is giving my all so that my children have it better. I love to bless my children. I love to take care of my children. I love to do anything I can to help my children. I love that. And then here's what Jesus said. You being earthly are actually evil in your relationship with your children compared to how God loves you. If I love to bless my children that way, it doesn't come close to how God loves to bless us. Paul, when he begins to write about who God is, he calls him our father. And I would challenge you, sometimes our understanding of who God is, it gets so messed up based on our earthly relationships. You've got to overcome that and understand what a real father is. A love without an end, but without a beginning. I put in your notes right here, I thought this was interesting. When we had children, here's what really happened to us. We made a decision 28 years ago. Good grief. I say that, it sounds like an old man says things like that. <laughs> 28 years ago, we made a decision to have a child. Here was the real decision. From that moment forward, our hearts will live outside of our bodies forever. Any dad or mom know what I'm talking about. For good or for bad, Rich. For good or for bad. Yeah. The good with the bad. Can I say to you that from time and eternity, God has purposed that we were going to be his and his heart walks outside of his body based on what humanity does today. Some of the choices we make wound our father. Forgive me for skipping around here on this grace issue, but let me jump back to it real quick. Some people think, man, you have to teach legalism in order to keep people walking in the right direction. Wrong. Here's what you teach. God loves you so much, and you're supposed to love him so much that you recognize it'll wound him if you do certain things. So you don't do it, not because you're trying to escape hell, but because you don't want to hurt your father. That's how to think. That's normal. Brian, does that make sense? The normal relationship between fathers and children. When Paul writes this, he writes it with the idea that it's a good thing for us to see God as a father, not a mixed up thing. Paul, a little further, as I said, I think he comes up with his greatest revelation ever. He sees God as our father, and then he says these words, we're blessed. But he doesn't just say you're blessed, he writes it this way. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Let me just stop here for a minute. Do you even know what that means? God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That sentence is more than I think ears can take in. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Let me just try to teach it in a little understanding of the Father's blessing. How would I go about this? So I've taught on the Father's blessing multiple times in my ministry. Uh, first time I ever discovered it, I was in Israel. Our guide was this old Israeli who fought in their 48th day of independence. Uh, amazing guy. 
Friday night to Saturday evening is Shabbat, the Sabbath. All of Israel, if you're not in a strategic position for the military, all of Israel shuts down and everybody goes home. They eat together, they hang out for 24 hours. They have a sense of purpose and family that we as Americans don't enjoy and understand. There's a closeness there that the generations weekly gather together. We do it probably yearly at Thanksgiving or Christmas, something like that. They do it weekly. It just creates a certain identity that Israel is about the family. While there, he's, he's getting ready to go to his family on that Friday night. I just asked him, what are you going to do tonight? He said, we're going to eat dinner. We're going to hang out. Tomorrow we play games. He said, Here, here's what, and he just tells me all the different things they're going to do. But then he says, before it's all said and done, I'm going to lay my hands on my children, on my grandchildren, and I'm going to bless them again. And I just said, well, what does that look like? And he just starts talking about the patriarch's blessing from the Old Testament, how the patriarch would grab his children, put his hands on them, and prophesy, here's who you are. Here's what you're going to do. When they would name their children, they would name them according to the destiny that they felt like those children were going to accomplish. I've taught that. I don't have time to even teach it, but a Hebrew name is a little sentence speaking forth the destiny of the child. They never just named their children John Jr. They, they would name the child according to, here's what we see that God's going to do in the life of the child so that every time they called the child's name, they called forth the destiny of the child. Blessing is so integrated in the life of an Israeli, it's unbelievable. So, so he said, I will lay my hands on them and I will bless my children. I will call forth their blessing and I will bless them and they will know that they are blessed before they leave my house. So he, I ask him, talk, so he spends time talking to me about this and I hear it and I realize no one's ever blessed me. I bet the majority of you have never had a blessing. I bet your father has never laid his hands on you and told you, here's who you really are, here's your inheritance. The devil has stolen something magnificent from us, and we don't even know it. So I thought, when I go home, I'm going to bless my children. So how do I do the most Israeli thing I can do? I bought a bunch of candles. And I put, I put like 50 candles all around the room. And I brought my children, and I spent time, I wrote down their blessings. I've, I've shared all of this before. I don't have time to share, but I've shared all of this before. But I wrote down their blessings. I brought them all in. I laid my hands on them. I began to prophesy and speak. Here's who you are. Here's how we see you. Here's what you're going to do. And they were all a little bitty at the time. But I said, this is what God has for you. Oh, my goodness. You would talk about, I'm weeping, and my children, even at that age, are we, some connection happened in our hearts that had never happened prior to that. So that my children, I put them on and calligraphy and I framed them and I put them by the rooms, uh, by the doors of their rooms so that walking in and walking out, they'd have to see their blessings. And I am, I am not just preaching, I am telling you the truth. Their friends, when they were growing up in high school, would walk through their rooms, see those blessings. And, and I would hear the friends ask, I have had more, more than, more than I can even remember right now, ask me, hey, would you write a blessing for me? I have had them come and say, would you bless me? Because I hear my children tell their friends, oh, that's my blessing, and talk about it like it's something valuable. Boy, I'm... I'm... So, so Paul begins to write, he's our father, and he blesses us. And Paul writes it with the knowledge of what the blessing is. Jesus had his father's blessing. When Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the Jordan... The Bible says that the skies were open and the Father spoke, this is my son that I love, with him I'm well pleased. Do you remember that? 
The blessing contains these three elements. It's in your notes. Look right here. It contains identity, unconditional love, and favor. When, when Paul says, you're blessed, here's what he's trying to teach. God has blessed you with unconditional love. He has blessed you with identity, and he has blessed you with favor. Unconditional love, love that never changes. Every, I did a wedding last week. I'm standing up in front of the couple, and I tell the man, according to the book of Ephesians, you've got to love your wife like Jesus loves you. I said, you stand here right now, and I know you can't think of anything except sex. And so you're, so, you're, you're just so engrossed in this. But here's the problem, man. Tomorrow starts the challenge of what you've got to do. You don't get to love her if, when, or because. You've got to love her no matter what she does. Why? Because that's how Christ loves you. You talk about a love that can change everything. A love you can't run from. A love you can't outgrow. A love you can't outsin. A love you can't earn, a love you can't produce, a love you can't do anything except, wow, love me. And if you ever get it, you'll have a context for how to love other people. And until you get it, you're not loving anybody because you don't know what love is. Just dang. Why I'm preaching so hard on the book of Ephesians, maybe Paul was excited when he wrote it too. I'm not sure. (laughs) But the Father's blessing contains these elements. Identity, you're my son. God in Ephesians begins to reveal through Paul, you are mine. Here's what I know. In a little bit further, a few verses later, he begins to talk about adoption. We've got some friends in this church who, who, oh, uh, they they took their hearts And they tried to give it to a child and said to the child, we want you, we choose you. Would you choose us? Would you come into our family? And this child who has been so abused looked at that and rejected it. And my poor friends right now, their hearts are absolutely devastated because they've taken their hearts and they want it through adoption to give this kid an opportunity to to be ours. And the kid right now is so messed up, the kid just rejected it and said no. And the parents, they're just devastated right now. A few verses later in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul begins to talk about God adopting us as as his sons and his daughters. He's writing to a crowd who got adopted. We don't get adoption today. They got adoption. Listen to this. Every Caesar who sat on the throne was not a legitimate son. They were all adopted as sons. In Roman law, when a kid was adopted, they got the full right of sonship and it could never be rejected after they were adopted. When Paul says you've been adopted, here's what he's saying. God has made you full heirs and equals with Jesus and you can never be rejected once you've been adopted. You can never, ever be rejected. God will never change his mind. God will never feel different. God will never remove what he has promised to give you once you are adopted. You talk about a love. We we don't understand when he begins to, to reveal this. The Father so loves you that he blesses you and he gives you identity. You belong to him. You're not just in this world accidentally as a cosmic birth that happened five billion years ago. God willed you to be here. God shot you into existence from the beginning of eternity knowing the color of your eyes, the color of your hair. He is the God of the universe and the God who knows the number of hair on your head. He loves you 
forever. And Paul's trying to reveal that when God loves you, you have a sense of identity. How many people run around today, they don't know who, when you find yourself, you know what you'll find? God. Did you hear me? The Father's blessing, you're my son, identity, unconditional love, whom I love, and last but not least, you please me. You have God's favor on your life. Man, favor is worthy of an entire series. How would I describe favor to you? Favor, one day of favor is worth a lifetime of labor. One day of favor will take you from the prison to the palace, boom. One day of favor is all it takes. And here God is saying, you have my favor. What if we ever acted like we actually had God's favor when we prayed? I thought to myself, this will be a 25-minute message. I really did. You're laughing at me, and I honest to God thought that. And I'm battling with eight minutes left. Paul writes, just a few words later, he sums up the first six verses by talking about God's kind intentions towards us. Let me just quickly, quickly talk about kind intentions. The problem with good intentions is this, the road to hell is paved with them, yes or no? It's true, isn't it? I speak for myself when I say that. I'm not talking down to anybody. I'm not talking ugly to anybody. I'll talk to myself here for just a minute. I have all sorts of good intentions. I had a good intention to preach for 25 minutes. <laughs> I really did. I, honest to God, thought I'm just going to go 25 minutes and then I'll shut up. I don't know how many times this week I thought to myself, here's what I want to do today. It was a great intention but different things would get in the way. In the bottom line, when it comes to intentions, here's what I would say to you. You can't give what you don't have. It doesn't matter what the intention is. God never goes by our intentions, does he? He goes by what actually happens. You know, that's funny. When you have children, your children never go by your intentions either. Your children go by what happens, don't they? You cannot give what you don't have, man. So many of my friends sit up here on this front row. I mean, I look down and I, I, these, are, these are my friends sitting here listening to me right now. If my friend Bob said to me, John, I need money. Gosh, I reach into my pocket. I got a key to downstairs. A handkerchief and a sweaty pocket. That's what I've got. I have no money. Because I'm paying for three kids to go to college right now. <laughs> you know what that's like. It doesn't matter how much I like you. It doesn't matter. Dude, it doesn't matter. Nothing matters. If you ask for it and I can't give it, all I've got is good intentions. Good intentions don't do anybody any good. Here's the difference between us and God. God's intentions towards us aren't trying to be fulfilled. God has already fulfilled all of his intentions. Maybe the most familiar scripture ever written, John 3, 16 and 17. God so loved the world. Read it with me. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son 
that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Here's the difference between us and God. God's intentions are to save you, and he already acted on it because within his ability, he had the riches to pay for our salvation. He paid the ultimate price. He sent his son, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us so that everything that was wrong between us and God could be taken care of. Here's the truth. Once and for all, the work that Christ did was done on a cross publicly. It was done once and for all so that he never has to come back and do it again. And if you ever really get that, it changes everything because there is nothing between us and God that hasn't been taken care of. The only thing that remains right now is whether or not you want to be in a relationship with him. No sin you committed today, yesterday, or tomorrow is ever going to be in the way because Jesus took care of it. The only thing that remains right now is whether or not you want to be reconciled to him. And if you do, then God stands like this today. I am your friend and I love you. And all that remains is to say, I want that relationship. And then eternity is done, not because you did anything good, but because God loves you. I come to the end of the message and I wrote this down. Look in your notes. It's the opportunity for your interaction with God. Everything that you think, that you say that you do. It's the opportunity right now for it all to function, begin, and end on this truth. That God loves you. That God has blessed you. That God has kind intentions towards you. If you really got that, then when you worship him, you don't think about all the stuff you did wrong. You don't think about all the things that are messed up in your life. You don't think about all the stuff that's broken. If you really got that he is my father, he loves me, and he has nothing but kind intentions towards me, you'd actually be set free that when you worship him, nothing would be more sweet than worship God. I don't know if you just, I don't know if you get what I'm saying. Everything in your relationship with him has to begin, operate, and end with that knowledge. God totally loves me. And I wrote on there, here's what I think should happen. I think that when we close this message out right now, we give opportunity for people to engage with God. What if you really engage with God over the knowledge that God is passionately in love with you? What if you engage with God right now that God, God, look, God doesn't wink at your sin. Don't get me wrong here. Your sin cost Jesus his life. My sin cost Jesus his life. But it's been taken care of. The only thing left now is to celebrate how much he loves us. And if anybody ever really got that, you shouldn't be able to be contained in a building for how much you love God. It is true. Because we spend our time, I don't like the temperature, I don't like the chair, I don't like my parking space, I don't like how much he sweats when he preaches. <laughs> what do you like? Jesus, maybe? I'm serious right now. Jesus? Nothing. If we really got it, we should be the people on earth who celebrate. If you really get it, If you really get it, the newspaper shouldn't be holding you back right now. The next election should not be controlling you. 
if you really get it, if you really get it, you should be the light in all the darkness. I would challenge that. I would totally challenge that. If we really get it, it should come out of us. We broker the world we are most familiar with. Just like my friend this week, whose boss, he is so controlled by what his boss is doing, that's the world he brokers to his family. You have a chance to be so controlled by the God who loves you that that's what you broker to your family. Which one do you want? We reproduce the atmosphere of what we are most controlled by. Twenty-three seconds left. God bless this message. In Jesus' name, amen. The worship people aren't even up here. That's how fast I was. <laughs> I want you to go ahead and stand to your feet. And as what I want you to do is all of our worship pastors lead us at each campus to close out right now. I want to challenge you to worship. I want to challenge you to give your heart fully to God. I want to challenge you right now. Don't let the enemy come in and talk to you about all the stuff that's wrong in your life. Don't let the enemy come in and talk to you about all the stuff that's messed up in your life. Right now, focus on God who tells you all the stuff that's right. How much he loves you and how much he cares for you. What he's done for you. Let that be the thing that you engage with God over right now. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.